what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Chris, how are you? I am doing good. Ready good. to talk some movies. Absolutely. And this is Alan here. We're uh, together again here on the TheMesh.TV network to talk through films, as uh, Chris mentioned. We get together uh, maybe a couple times a month, talk about some films, both some new films, as well as bring up some recommendations from the past, as well as uh, sprinkle in a little bit of movie news here and there as well. Today, we got a fun show. we got a couple interesting movies to talk about, very different movies, although music is going to be a prevalent theme, I think, between Ah, both films. I did find a connection. Clever. Between them, yes. Thank you. First, we're going to talk about the latest action-adventure sci-fi film from Marvel Studios, Guardians of the Galaxy, starring uh, Chris Pratt, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, and several others. And then we'll move on to a review of the film uh, Begin Again, which, don't even get me started on that title. I have my whole, <laughs> whole, my whole diatribe on that title. But Begin Again, starring Keira Knightley, Mark Ruffalo, and Maroon 5, Heartbeat whatever he's, he's like the big tiger beat uh, pinup guy right so <laughs> adam levine right from I, Maroon 5. I know that the guy's name is adam levine the rest of the stuff i cannot verify he's the one that always beats me out for uh sexiest man alive <sighs> i think every time I uh, i'm in the running on that okay. so he and i have a little you know little little rivalry going there <laughs> deal healthy with. rivalry yeah, healthy rivalry okay. yeah we're going to talk about guardians of the galaxy and talk about begin again as well as some uh notes on some film news and recommendations all here on foot candle films here on TheMesh.TV. Before I get started, Chris, let me quickly throw out a, a big thank you to one of our key sponsors here on The Mesh. We are uh, very, very proud to be partnering with the Greater Hickory Kia Classic Golf Tournament going on at Rock Barn Golf and Spa in uh, Conover, North Carolina, which is just down the street from our uh, Mesh recording studios here. This is true. And not quite walking distance from my house, but close. You are a Conover (laughs) resident. I am Conover. You are a Conover resident. That's That's right. October 13th through the 19th of uh, 2014, uh, the actual golf classic will be going on at Rock Barn Golf and Spa. Beautiful golf course if you've never been there. And, uh, of course, it's a beautiful area, especially in that time of year in October. It's just a great time of year to be in western North Carolina. If you're interested in coming to see this great PGA-quality uh, golf tournament, uh, please uh, go online and get some more information at www.greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. That's where you want to go to get your tickets and get your tournament information for the Greater Hickory Kia Classic. Thank you so much for your partnership with The Mesh. We're really happy to have you around. All right, Chris, you ready to get started? Sure. All right, let's start into our first review, which is the Marvel Studios film, Guardians of the Galaxy. We arrested these five on Xandar. Check out the rap sheets. Drax, a.k.a. the Destroyer. Since his wife and family were killed, he's been on a rampage across the galaxy in a search for vengeance. Gamora, soldier, assassin, wanted on over a dozen counts of murder. Rocket, wanted on over 50 charges of vehicular theft and escape from lockup. Groot, has been traveling recently as Rocket's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill, he's also known as Star-Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Guardians of the Galaxy. I feel like I need an echo <laughs> reverb behind my voice Guardians, when I give Guardians, that title, right? Right, sure. It's such an just an over-the-top title for a film that, you know, in all honesty, a, a Marvel Studios property that very, very little known, even to people in the comic book world. I mean, I consider myself a comic book fan, and I don't know anything about these guys. Didn't but know you, anything. you heard of it, though, right? I'd at least heard okay. of them, but that's yeah. about it. Sure. Um, I don't know the characters. I didn't know any of their backstories or anything. So I'm coming into this a little different than maybe I have other Marvel Studio films where you've got very established characters. You're Captain America, you're Thor, you're uh, who else we've got? You're Avengers. Yeah, yeah. So here we have the Guardians of the Galaxy directed by James Gunn, who 
we talked about quite a while back as being a very interesting choice of a director for a big blockbuster movie like this. He's made the horror film Slither, which I've never seen. I have not seen either. And he made the film Super, which I know you have talked about as being ultraviolent and a little disturbing. Didn't you talk about that with Rain Wilson? Um, I had heard of it, but I had not seen it until Somebody recently. else told me they saw it, and it okay. was just a very disturbing, violent film. I, okay. So here we've got a director that not really any uh, anything on his resume that would speak to doing a big blockbuster uh, action special effects uh, big movie like this. But he's assembled a pretty interesting cast. We have Chris Pratt from Parks and Recreation, and he's also uh, had smaller parts in Her. I think he had a – there was another good part he had in a smaller film. I forget which one. I think he was in that Vince Vaughn film recently about uh, where he had all the kids all over the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's played some good supporting roles, more comedic roles. This is his first time kind of doing an action-adventure thing. Uh, Vin Diesel's giving the voice of Groot, a talking tree. Uh, Bradley Cooper, the voice of Rocket Raccoon, a talking raccoon. And uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, an alien warrior. So we have an interesting mix of people. We have an interesting mix of heroes together in a story that tries to go a little against the, the Marvel Studios norm, uh, where you've got a very eclectic soundtrack from the 70s uh, mixed in. You've got a lot more humor than you normally have in a Marvel Studios film uh, and characters that you're not familiar with. A little more irreverent uh, characters, if you will. So with all that being said, Chris, this has got an interesting formula, an interesting mix to it, and some interesting backstory. Throw it all together, swish it around, mix it up, pour it back into the bowl. Did it work for you? Um, it, it did. It did work for me. And I was kind of surprised because I, I, I didn't know anything about the franchise at all. Like I'd never even heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. So I was completely unfamiliar with it. But the one thing that I did know was that this was a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm kind of done at this point with being excited about comic book movies. Okay. Um, you know, the Avengers movies that are Avenger movie that's coming up. I'm kind of, I could care less about. So I'm kind of done in general with comic book movies just because I feel like it's just, we've had so many of them and they're just not, they usually aren't very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I knew this was a Marvel movie. Right. So going in, I was like, oh, great. You know, here's the start of another franchise, if it does well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, But I was a little excited because in some of our past episodes, you kind of talked about how it was going to be a very unique movie mm-hmm. yeah. um, because the tone of it was going to kind of be odd because it you know has a talking tree and a talking raccoon that are sure. like CGI characters. And I was like, okay. Okay, that mm-hmm. sounds interesting. <laughs> um, could be a complete disaster. Sure, it definitely like, had the markings of it could be a disaster. So, um, but it, it did work for me. I was completely surprised. Um, and I'll say a lot of it has to do um, with Chris Pratt. Mm. I cannot believe how well he did in this role. I mean, I'd seen him before and I've always liked him, but I've always liked him as just a comedic element. Sure. I never thought he would carry off like kind of these swashbuckling roles. A little bit of an Indiana Jones role Absolutely. in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. He was Han Solo in Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. conveniently both played by Harrison Ford in those movies. And I think Chris Pratt could step in and do the next Indiana Jones movies. Because <laughs> I've heard be, supposedly they're talking about doing that would be interesting, more Indiana actually. And like okay. just wipe out the Crystal Skull and put Chris, <laughs> Chris Pratt in there and Can say, Can we please okay, wipe out the yes, Crystal Skull? Absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, and I just, it was perfect casting. I really, I like him anyway. And I thought he was, I thought he was, uh, was excellent in it. And honestly, the talking tree and the wisecracking raccoon didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I thought they would, and they they were played just enough that I thought that it was it was acceptable. It was doable. It worked. All right. So you you you, you said it worked for you. I, I'm I'm trying really hard to gauge on the Chris Fry enthusiasm scale here exactly where you are on your your positive nature of this because uh, well, I have some negatives. <laughs> oh, no, I understand. <laughs> so Absolutely. I, I definitely, and I do too, a few, but I, uh, I, I'm trying to gauge that enthusiasm. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. Okay. And then you can easily tell me I'm you're above or below where I am. Okay. This. Okay. Uh, I really, really, really like this movie. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm already probably higher than you. I'm assuming, <laughs> but this film Worst well, disclosure, for me, you've seen it twice. I've I have seen, I've it only twice. seen it once. And I actually enjoyed it more the second time than okay. I did the first time. This movie worked for me on all levels because I'm the guy that's gotten so burnt out on the over heavy CGI films. I think every time we review one of these big 
blockbuster films and it's all just a huge CGI set piece for the last 30 minutes. It's just so exhausting for me. Mm-hmm. This one is a big CGI fest at the last 20, 30 minutes of the film, but it worked. Somehow it worked better for me. I did not feel this exhaustion level. I could feel like I could follow what was happening and I was still fairly emotionally invested in what was going on. I just, I think the film works for me because it, it, it put together the right cast of characters, hmm. characters that you actually wanted to see what was going to happen to them. You actually had some involved interest in where they're coming from. Unlike many, many other movies we've seen where the characters are just there to fill the human space (laughs) while the spectacle is what they're trying to sell. Sure. This film has its spectacles, but they know that the important part is the dynamics of this team. Right. And actually, I think to me, my absolute favorite scene of the whole film is one that had no special effects other than Rocket Raccoon and Groot as CGI characters. Uh, it's them sitting around talking over their plan or <laughs> lack of plan. That was a good maybe. scene. Because that's what I wanted out of a group of characters like this. It's human. It's natural. They're like critiquing each other. They're One of them's not even paying attention to the other one. And like Coley misses part of it because they're not paying attention. Right. And they're freely admitting, hey, yeah, I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. <laughs> Could you, you know, it's say just a, it again? Yeah, it was a very natural dialogue. And that's what I loved about it. When they got to be natural and, and, and respond to each other the way they should. Uh, it, it worked magically. Now, I've got a few issues as well, just a okay. few. But overall, I'm saying this is a fun, fun movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've been listening to the soundtrack off and on for the last week or so. I hmm. really like the choice of music in it. Uh, they they mix in a lot of 70s pop rock uh you know, songs you've heard before, but I think this, the way they mix them in and the way they accentuate the different scenes to me worked really, really well. So, Chris, I'm all I'm all positive. All I'm all hyped up and, and hopped on the, gar- the uh, hopped on the Guardians of the Galaxy train. Okay. Bring me down. Tell me what were some of the negatives you had to share. Well, this was my biggest negative, and I wonder if I were to see it a second time, if it would fall away. Yeah. Um, and I have an idea that it probably would, but uh, let me see what you think about this uh, detracting moment of the film or part of the film. There are a lot of characters. And there are a lot of locations. Mm -hmm. And in the first 20 or 30 minutes or so, so much is going on that, and I like the movie, so I want to follow what's going on. And I feel like it's going to be important to follow what's going on and who's saying what and what side are these particular people on. And I kind of had a hard time to the part where I was like, wait, I wanted to reach up and go into the projection booth and hit like pause or something. Mm. Be like, okay, can we just get an understanding of who's where and who's doing what? And, that really, and so for a movie that's, you know, a blockbuster and supposed to be fun and, you know, you don't want to have to think as much. Sure, I guess. right. And so that was kind of detracting to me because I'm like, okay, you know, I understand who's on the Guardian team, but then some other people, and they have like kind of confusing names yes. and some long names. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of people in this movie are CGI'd or they have a lot of makeup on, it's kind of hard to differentiate like you can't even say like oh that actor is this person in real life so they're on the bad team it was hard to connect it was hard to differentiate and connect with them yeah and it was just so there was a lot going on and that was a little distracting it did kind of get in the groove and firmly set bad guys versus good guys and here's what the story of this movie is going to be eventually but i kind of was a little little choppy a little bit uh your, my 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 one major negative is somewhat related to that. Okay. It's not as much the, the density of the film, which it was very dense in the beginning, and it started to concern me. But yeah, I think it did a good job of filtering itself through and kind of pointing you in the right direction. My issue was really just with the the villains and the number of villains hmm. and the lack of interesting villains. <laughs> I thought all the villains were very on the nose. You know, it, basically we had. You have Thanos, who's like the big bad guy, but yet he's only in a couple scenes. And then he's just got, like sneering. and Yeah. Then you've got just, Ronan, who is the main bad guy, but yet he seems just like Thanos. I mean, there's it's, not – it's like they're I very, thought they were the same person at exactly. first. That's part of my It's confusion. very hard to differentiate them. Except Ronan apparently likes uh, mascara around his eyeballs. Right. Yeah. And then <laughs> so, you've got Ronan's daughter, adopted daughter. No, no, it's Thanos' adopted daughter. Uh, I don't even remember her name, but she's played by a girl Karen from, Gillian. Yep, Karen who's Gillian from, from Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. I did not even realize she was in the movie yeah. until after. She plays Nebula. Nebula. Which, again, she was just a very by the numbers, I am a bad girl, I am a warrior fighter type of thing. You've got uh, Jamon Hinzu, 
as Korath, who is another bad guy, but we don't really understand his depth right. in the whole chain. It's, it was a lot of bad people, a lot of bad guys that we're not supposed to like, but they all were very tough to understand their relationships to one another and what made them different from one another. I am completely on board. Yeah. So did that go away with a second viewing a little bit? Well, yeah, it did because I knew everything going into right. it. Um, it's just, is still, that was the one element of the film I wish could have been stronger. If sure. they could have had a stronger villain base with more interesting characteristics and personality to them that were more differentiated. We understood the roles of everybody. I think this would be a perfect movie. You know, that was my big hangup. I guess like this in relationship to another very popular science fiction movie. What if Thanos had been the Darth Vader character and everybody else would have been running around in a stormtrooper uniform that way. It's just like, okay, they're bad and you don't know anything about them. They're very homogenized and you can't tell what different, but you just know, Oh yeah, they're bad. You know, and that way it would have made it simpler to kind of, grab on to yeah and even i've even left out one michael rooker as yondu who was uh star lord's kind of adoptive not adoptive father he's taken star lord under his wing all these years he's the guy who commands an arrow by whistling yes that's right (laughs) and he's a cool character but yet when you throw him in the mix with all these other bad guys it's like okay there's just so many different people that we're not supposed to like and I'm still trying to understand they're all how they're all related or what their motives are in relation to one another. Right. That was the tough part of the film. And you're for me. not expecting that's the thing with me was I'm not expecting something to be that complicated yeah. for a summer fun movie, you know, blockbuster type right. movie. So that really is my only one big hang up. Again, if that had been resolved, if we had had a, just a awesome iconic villain mm-hmm. that really made a step, if we had a, I'm not even going to say a Heath Ledger type Joker, but a someone who just commanding presence on screen as a villain and it was clear and defined I think this would be a perfect movie a perfect summer movie I I think that was the element that really got too convoluted and hard to really you want a bad villain a really good bad villain Mm -hmm. for your heroes to succeed against and I never felt like I really had that much uh, fear of the villains that were here to want my heroes to succeed as much you know but uh, other than that, I love this film. I love the energy of it. I love, again, I mentioned the music. To me, it, I'm a music guy. I love music in film. I love the way people choose to use music in film. I love the choice of music and the way they integrated it with uh, Chris Pratt's character, Peter Quill, who's known as Star-Lord in some circles. Uh, his, whole mo- his whole thing is he's playing a Walkman cassette tape from <laughs> Earth back in the 1980s when he was basically abduct- abducted and taken up into space. Right. And I love that that carry through of this is something that kind of keeps him going. This is something he connects with, with his homeland. And it's all the music that happened to be popular with his parents in the mid 80s. So it's like when he got taken, this is like a time capsule snapshot of what his life was like when he was that kid. And he's carrying it with him, listening to it all day long. That to me was a really, really great motif to to carry through the whole film. Yeah, I I would agree. And I I think it was... Good that, you know, in these days, you know, you sell action figures or one of the things that you can try to integrate into a movie so you can make money off of it is a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And this movie, it used a good soundtrack, but it, it played an important role. Yeah. Like you're saying, it was kind of what he had to hold on to from his childhood. Who mm-hmm. he was as a person was this tape, and it meant a lot to him. And it's used, but it doesn't disappear. It's it, it's a thread throughout yeah. the film. It's and not that, a gimmick. No, it's not a gimmick. By itself. It's a, it truly does have some impact on the film. Right. And I, I, I got to admit, I mean, I know these superhero big blockbuster movies try to try to throw the little emotional moments in there every once in a while. Most of the time, they never work. They never really ring true. I got to admit, the opening scene with him as a little kid mm-hmm. and his mother uh, towards the end when he's kind of having a little bit of a reconnection moment with his mother – I thought it worked really good. I yeah. thought these were very good, emotionally done scenes yeah. and uh, very surprising. Um, I, I would agree. I think um, without getting into spoiler territory, yes, uh, there was the outcome of one of the guardians, mm-hmm. one of the one of the team that I thought they played a little bit too much mm-hmm. on the emotional heartstrings, and then once it was resolved, it kind of went for a little overboard on the cuteness side. Yeah, and that about. kind of annoyed me. Um, not annoying, but I was just kind of like, okay, you know, it was just, I don't, I don't know. That, that was another little, very minor, very mm. minor quibble, along with there were so many 
big name actors in here that were doing cameo appearances like John C. Riley, Benicio del Toro, Glenn Close, mm-hmm. and those are just a few. And I felt like I wanted to see them do more or otherwise just don't buy. It was kind of distracting. Otherwise, don't bother have a famous person because then yeah. it's like you're just like, oh, cool. You know, and you're you're it's kind of like you had talked about when you see a moment in a preview mm-hmm. and then you, that moment hasn't come in the film. You keep expecting, you know, and it's kind of distracting. Yeah. When you see Glenn Close as this big governmental official, you're like, oh, cool. You know, and you're like, I bet I'm going to or John C. Riley is kind of like mm-hmm. comedic relief. You're like, OK, I'm going to get to see some payoff with him. And it never really happens. Not that yeah. that's a, it's not a overly negative thing. It's just kind of like, Oh, a little well, disappointing. Okay. A little, little uh, disappointing. And a lot of that, you know, for better or for worse, I think it's a lot of franchise building. Well, I think it's all about, we know we're going to have a second or third film. And these are characters that could play a more or less role in the next one. So let's go and establish them now, which I understand that, but I do agree. I mean, if this had been a standalone film and we do have to evaluate a film on its own standalone on its merits, own. absolutely. It was a little disappointing to see for me, John C. Riley. I was really looking forward to seeing this film <laughs> and he had maybe and three he's scenes featured in the preview. So yeah. you're like, okay, he had maybe three scenes. Right. Uh, and they were fine. He did a good job with them. It was just, you kind of expect a, an actor like that. That's got such a good fan following to have a little more meat in the, in the film. Maybe he will in the next one. Maybe that maybe. was the whole plan is we got to show him now. But we got him locked in for number two, and he plays a more pivotal role. Who knows? And on that note, that's yeah, it's true. It's not a negative of the film that they weren't in there as much. I guess just kind of I was kind of surprised maybe because it. Mm. But like you say, it probably is franchise building. Yeah. And I'm glad that they have such a cool property here. Then unlike almost every other comic book movie, I don't know anything about. Yeah. And that's kind of cool, and that makes me excited for the fact that. You know, this movie is very successful. They are, have already said they're going to do a sequel in 2017, maybe, to yes. give them time to do mm-hmm. it. Um, and I'm excited about it because yeah. I want to spend two-plus hours more with these characters. And I'm glad that I have little – there's a little hint of something the next movie could mm-hmm. be about, but I'm not exactly sure. But it's a very, very broad, vague hint. Right. Yeah. And so I'm excited because I'll have no clue as to what's coming. You know, so that that's – Can I say one exciting. thing about this film that I really, really was admired? The cameo at the very end after the credits? No. 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 <laughs> Actually, that was – Kind of ridiculous. Um, Which was kind of cool because it had no bearing on Oh, it had nothing to do whatsoever. with any of the rest of the yes. film. If you do go see the film, stick around through the end of the credits. You'll either be scratching your head saying, what was that? Or if you're a child from the 80s and you remember a certain disastrous box office bomb movie that came out at that time, it'll be an interesting little throwback. I wish it had been a costume instead of CGI. I know. Yeah, that was my only yeah. kind of thing. Because at first I was like, is that who that's supposed to be? It looked, <laughs> the design was very different than what we yeah. used to. So. Uh, maybe more like the actual comic book that it came from. Actually, maybe? no. Actually, I thought the old 80s movies was more like the more comic like the book. Combo. Yeah. Okay, no, the thing I really admired about this being a superhero, superhero team action adventure sci-fi movie is we didn't have an origin story for any one of those characters. I mean, other than Peter's Peter's a little bit, but we know nothing about Peter Quill from the minute he was abducted as a kid to the minute we see him in the the film. Right. Because the the guy who was like his Yondu. Yeah. They hint at a little bit, but you don't know. There's no, no, there's no, uh, let's show you every character and how they got to this point. We have no idea how rocket raccoon, other than we get the hint that there was, testing and experimenting it's kind of messed up we didn't see yeah. it we didn't see an origin story and you we don't know how he this. and Groot bonded yeah. you don't have no idea and I like that because yeah. it actually kind of left a lot to your imagination I kind of want to know and maybe down the road at some future point how they got to be friends and how they connected but I love the fact that this film said you know what we're going to spend the first five minutes on a really quick little setup for you but after that we're jumping right into it here are your characters here's what they're doing you may have a lot of questions about their backstory. Don't worry about it right now. Just go with the flow. And, you know, so many films, that first film in a franchise, they spend so much time trying to set up the origin story that you actually, that's normally the part of the film everybody hates and they're ready to get onto the action. <laughs> True. We jumped right to it. And I thought it was great. So I do think that they uh, pulled off something really cool there. Um, the only other little minor quibble for me. Okay. I'm all for a film that likes to throw uh, references to other films as much as they can and have fun with it. This film came really close to overdoing it for me. Really? See, I'm sitting here and... <sighs> oh, I can rattle off all the references. Well, there's the Footloose reference. Well, not even that. Not even the in-movie in where they're like specifically making a reference to okay. another movie. I'm talking about 
Look at the cockpit of their spaceship when they all get together and stand aside each oh, other. Oh, and how they're it's Star sitting. Wars. In, yeah. It's totally Star Wars. You've got Groot as Chewbacca. You've got, you know, everybody's kind of playing a role where they're visually, I think, trying to put in your mind. Really? Hey, you remember how the 77 Star Wars was and how cool it was to it's see like these the, people in the cockpit? You're saying that the cockpit configuration in Star Even Wars, that, Millennium Falcon, and the cockpit was like, Kind of identical. Absolutely. I don't, I didn't There's really, that. Huh. Uh, the first time we see Peter Quill as an adult, he is exploring a ruined temple and trying to steal an orb, which very, very similar to Raiders of Lost Ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, true. There's just a lot of other moments where it's like, wow, they're really going for the Raiders of Lost Ark, Star Wars. Let's pull all those elements in and let's try to resemble as much as we can a lot of that. Now, See, like I said, I, they came close to... I guess I to, realized it, but it didn't, like, I didn't even buy, it didn't yeah. even register or bother me. It came close to going over the top for me, but huh. never went over the top. I enjoyed it. It's okay. just, it's one of those things, if they had thrown in one or two more visual cue references to other big popular uh, cult movies, uh, I probably would have gotten irritated by it. Do you have a lot more that you could mention? Because uh, if you do, uh, let's save them for spoiler territory, because, and like... And mention it, and I want to know whether or not I caught them. <laughs> so okay. if you have a lot more, if they're not a lot more. but uh, There's not really a lot oh, okay. more. I mean, that's the two main ones. I know there's other ones kind of mixed in as well, but huh. uh, those are the, just two of the ones that are the, the easiest examples of what I'm talking about. Okay. There's a lot of throwbacks, a lot of visual cues to other films. Gotcha. And that normally doesn't bother me, and it didn't really bother me in this film. It's just it started to get close to the point of saturation hmm. on that. Okay. Yeah. So that's Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we're both saying, yes, go see it. We liked it. I really, really loved it. I'm giving it four and a half. I'm going around the record right now. If it hadn't been for the villains being so weak, it'd be a five-star movie. Hmm. But I'm at four and a half because I love this film enough. Had such a good time even on the second viewing more than the first. Um, where are you rating-wise? You know, I I was convinced I was actually going to end up liking it more than you. But I'm, I'm, I have a f- – right now I'm kind of at a four-star. If I see it again – It's still really good. Oh no, it is. It yeah. is. Cause we're talking letterbox scores and yeah, they yeah. go one to five. Um, a second viewing may would push me up. You okay. know, um, I do recommend if you enjoyed the film a lot and you have a chance to see it again, it's, it does help with that first 30 minutes okay. because you don't have to try Your brain's not trying to figure out what's going that's, on. That's what's holding me back. You can just kick back and enjoy it that second time. And it really was fun. Okay. So, really good. Awesome. Let's move on to our second review then, which is a completely different film, although music still plays a very uh, key part in the film. The film is Begin Again. So, this is a new song for anyone who's ever been alone in the city. So you find yourself at the subway. You realize it's the end of the line. I was having a nervous breakdown, and then I heard your song. I want to make records with you. Come on, let's get out of here. Let's record an album. We don't even need to rent a studio. You mean record outside? Every song we do in a different location. Under the bridge. Chinatown. Rowing boats in Central Park. Whatever happens, we record it. John Carney made a movie called Once. Yes. Which was in 2006, and it's... Got nominated for Best Original Song? Yes, he did, for Falling Slowly. I think it may have won. I'm thinking it might have. You could be right. So music played a big, pivotal role in Mm -hmm. that film. Mm -hmm. And it was was a drama and a romance, not so much comedy. No. With Begin Again, this year's film from John Carney, uh, stars Keira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. Also, music plays a very central role to, to the movie. But instead of... Being, you know, kind of a drama, it's more of a comedy with dramatic elements thrown in there. It never got too dramatic. Right. You know, yeah. And basically, the main storyline here is that Mark Ruffalo plays a music business executive that kind of has a fall from grace. And he has a chance encounter with Keira Knightley's character, who's kind of a struggling musician. And they kind of bond together and, you know, try to make... Tried to make beautiful music together. Yes. Um, so, Alan, I know that you're a big fan of the film Once. I, I think was. you told me that you, after initial viewing, you immediately like hopped on iTunes and bought Actually, the Actually, my wife, watching it with me within 30 minutes, was had already bought the soundtrack online. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so, with Begin Again, have you bought the soundtrack from iTunes? Do you have any need to buy the soundtrack from iTunes? How does this compare? Because these movies... You know, it's basically it's a central relationship between two people. They're very similar. Yes. So, you know, normally 
we're still going to evaluate this movie on its own merits, but just to kind of get into the discussion, because you can't help but separate it from once, how do you how do you feel it compares to once? Well, let me, I'll equate it to my music listening experience with the soundtrack, because okay. I am listening to the soundtrack right now. Okay. Here's the difference. Uh, I paid the 10 or $11 to iTunes to get the soundtrack for once. Okay. Begin Again, lo and behold, is on my Google streaming account to listen for free. Okay. Although I pay my $7 a month subscription to get all the music I listen to. Gotcha. Would I have gone out and spent 10 or $12 for the soundtrack? Probably not. Will I listen to it as part of my $7 a month subscription I'm already paying? Yeah, sure. Hmm. That kind of sums up how I feel about the film. <laughs> yeah, it's, sure. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good film. It's, is it once? No. Uh, is it a film I think that is like, you know, going to change anybody? Is it going to make any major impact anywhere? No. But it's a fun little film. I do think the music is pretty good. Uh, not as good as the, the, the music in once, but it's a pretty good soundtrack. Uh, I think acting, everybody's fine. I mean, you know, it's nobody's blew me out of the water with their performance, but Keira Knightley was fine in her role as Greta. Mark Ruffalo was fine as his role in Dan. <laughs> Adam Levine was okay for a musician trying to pull off an acting gig. How, how is Adam Levine's beard? <laughs> his beard is fabulous. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it, and I like the fact that it actually was kind of a joke part of the film that he grew this gigantic looking Amish looking beard. Galifianakis and, type Right. Beard. And everybody kind of cracked on him for it, which was funny. Um, there's enough commentary about the music industry to keep this interesting. I wish they would have gone a little deeper with that. There was enough about the creation of music that was interesting. Again, I wish they would have gone deeper with that. There's enough about relationships between father, daughter and friendships and all again, but nothing ever got too deep. And I think it was a good surface film. It's a good one to have in the background when you're watching, uh, when you got it on sometimes and just to kind of enjoy some, some of the dialogue was pretty good. Some of the music's pretty good. Nothing about it just blew me away though. Nothing about it was, I can sit back and say, wow, that was awesome. You know? Right. So it's fine. <laughs> it's, Adam's review. Fine. Fine. It's, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. serviceable, enjoyable film, uh, but nothing I'm going to go out and brag about to anybody. What about you? Well, I, this film was a pretty, it was a disappointment. Really? Um, yeah. I, the music I didn't feel like, with the exception of, which I guess is key, the very first song that Keira Knightley sings. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's, and it's shown a couple of times with a, some different perspectives at yes. it. And that helped kind of make the song stick with me. And it's the only one I really remember at all, mm -hmm. um, which kind of says, you know, like you're saying, the movie's kind of forgettable. Yeah. Um, so for a movie about music... That's kind of a bad sign for me that yeah. I didn't want to go out and buy the soundtrack or that okay. I didn't, you know, that one song is kind of interesting, but I'm not really that interested in buying it. Sure. Um, it bothered me how kind of surface it was. And if it had only been surface with respect to, oh, we're going to be surface about the music industry and just kind of play that for laughs. Okay, that's fine. But they used family dynamic with his daughter. They used dynamic between him and this uh, musician that he was meeting they used the record company they were just it was so scattered nothing was very developed and it just got on my nerves there was a plot or kind of a theme or not sideline kind of issue i guess with uh, mark ruffalo's character dan he was pretty much an alcoholic mm -hmm. i mean they and they kind of glossed over it, and then at one point he just starts drinking pepsi or right. tries yeah which was funny but it was like, and I was wondering as the film was progressing, I was like, are they going to ever mm -hmm. mention anything? Or because it kind of seems like some of his ups and downs could have been caused or definitely, you know, accelerated by this. And they just, it's like they weren't interested in doing that. And it, I couldn't really no. tell what they were interested in doing other than recapturing the magic of once with a Hollywood sheen, which was interesting yeah. because the whole film is about trying to remain independent yeah, and, not be, and not be corporate. And yet once was a very independent movie and very non-corporate. I mean, they did sell soundtracks and got a lot of acclaim for it. And then this, this movie seems to be everything that it's not supposed to. Be. It's like rallying against itself, yeah, right. <laughs> which brings to mind, uh, mm. we screened this last night at our film society that the original title, and you referenced it in your intro, was Can a Song Save Your Life? Can a Song Save Your Life was okay. the original title of the, the this film when they were starting to make it. 
and they changed it to begin the, again the bland begin again God, worst title ever and i think that's to me it just seems like so much was sacrificed yeah and I, it was it was just a disappointment well even even the, the scene you're talking about with the whole alcoholic side of things in the, that closing scene near the, the last 15 minutes of the film where all of a sudden oh look he's drinking a pepsi now and that's they kind of make a joke about it and all it's almost like they had that end scene in mind but almost like they got to the end of the making the film they're like oh wait a minute we wanted to do this scene oh well we really haven't really explored how he got to that point but we still want that scene so let's put that scene in there you know and it's like we want to button everything up and have all these great little ending points but yet we didn't really do enough to earn them right Dan, played by Mark Ruffalo, and his ex-wife, played by Catherine uh, Keener. That's another plot point that had some interesting potential to show a separated couple that still have some feelings for each other, but they're both kind of trying to wrestle with that. Right. And spoilers on a little bit. At the end, it's basically, oh, look, everything's all hunky-dory. And I felt like we jumped really quickly from point A to point B on that. Absolutely. So the alcoholic side of things, the reconciliation with the wife – the father-daughter relationship, all those were very easily tidied up in the end. And I don't feel like, I felt like they had so many balls they were juggling in the air that they just wanted to tidy everything up in the end and make a nice little clean, happy ending. And you just don't feel like anything got developed as much as it should be. Two, two clarifications on that very point that you made. First is there's kind of a closing to the film which I was impressed where they were ending it. Yeah. Then the credits started rolling, and then they continued not a credit sequence that was kind of to make yeah. you laugh. No, they continued the movie. It was actually mo- the end of the story. They continued the movie. That bothered me so much because it was like, there again, they were selling out. They were trying to, like you say, nope, we got some you know, little finishing little touches we need to make sure we want to do. And it's just like, can't you just leave enough alone? Yeah. Another instance of that, that really basically, I was okay with the film, and when this happened... I was kind of like, Ugh. and actually, my wife who was sitting next to me was like, "What?" And I'm like, "I'll, I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you later. I don't want to, because it would be a big explanation." They are at one point they're walking around New York City, listening to music. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's kind of a bonding moment. Okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind that. The director, who also was also the scriptwriter on this, so I'm going to say the director because I'm blaming both him and the scriptwriter because it's one and the same person, didn't trust the audience enough to understand what was going on so much so that Dan's character at one point says, Oh, you see how this music transforms our scene and we can look out and see Uh, ordinary things of people walking by on the street. And you see at that moment, like a prostitute walk by that normally would be very garish or unattractive, but because you have this music, everything is transformed. And he's basically like saying, here's the theme of the film music. And I was just like, really, you're spelling it out like that. That is, that's insulting <laughs> yeah. to me. So that from that point forward, I was kind of like, I'd mentally kind of checked out. Well, I will say nothing about this film irritated me. Nothing got me mad. Nothing was extremely disappointing. It just, it was a very surface film. I'm giving it a pass just because I did find it enjoyable. Okay. I thought some of the dialogue was fun. I thought some of the uh, situations were interesting. I love watching the production of music on film and they did have some interesting scenes of putting together songs and recording in these natural environments. I enjoyed a lot of those elements. Um, Again, nothing I'm bragging about on any aspect of it. There's no one aspect that just jumped out at me saying, wow, that was really, really good what they did. But there was enough decent stuff stitched together to where I found myself enjoying the film. I'm kind of in the three star range. So, you know, middle of the ground film for me. I would watch it again if it was on cable in the background somewhere over a weekend, but I'm not going to go out of my way to try to seek it out again. And I may be listening to the soundtrack for the last 24 hours just because I just saw the film last night. <laughs> and it's it, free. It is free. Do, so. But I probably won't be listening to it next week. You know, So that's gotcha. it's a very surface experience for me as well. Sounds like you were maybe a little more annoyed with some of the contrivances of it than I was. But we both were ultimately either disappointed or just very complacent about this film. Yeah, I, you know, it's just... Summering to summarize it for me, it was just you know sold out commercial version of once you know yeah. that stumbles on cliches, which that's what it shouldn't have been because the movie's theme kind of was like you know fighting against that. Yeah. Um, but 
the performances, because I, I agree with you, I, I like Mark Ruffalo. I thought he did a good job here. Kira Knightley, to me, I've never really been a big fan of hers, um, but I thought, she, I thought she did a good job. Actually, if I had to say who I was probably most surprised by because she was carrying the film, it would probably be Kira Knightley. Okay. Um, I'll admit, she was better than I expected her to be here. And so it, it saved the movie from me from being terrible, but... You know, two and a half. You're just disappointed. Two and, two and, two and, and a half, half stars. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm three. I thought about three and a half last night, but the more I've thought about it since then, I'm down to three now. So, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, begin again. Ugh. I just even hate saying the title. <laughs> I mean, it really just sounds like see, something. See, I, you want to go? De- they, they could have gotten three and a half, but the star rating lost the half star because of the title. I mean, I, it's really. Ugh. It sounds like a generic thing, a DVD you would have found at Blockbuster Videos coming through the aisles that you never <laughs> heard of, starring two washed-up B-level actors that used to be in uh, TV sitcoms or something. That's just what it seemed like, and it's such a shame. It's even, I mean, not to belabor the point, but even this whole corporate selling out theme that they were trying to go for, well, the fact that they changed the freaking name of the film to the exactly. most generic Hollywood title is like so contrary to what the film's even trying to say. And you brought up, there again, not to keep referencing our awesome film society that we have here in West <laughs> North Carolina, but last night when we had the screening, you brought up a point which I want to bring out again. Uh, the rock star boyfriend, um, played by Adam Levine, I can't yeah. remember his name in the movie, but he goes off and he makes an album, and he comes back and he shows it to his now ex-girlfriend and they kind of talk about it and she he plays a track for her and he tells her the album title and it's called on the road she's like uh that's like a jack kerouac that's yeah. like a book and she was kind of like you know that's stupid right so it was interesting that there was a comment even about change coming up with a title in the movie and kind yeah. of criticizing that and you said you know who knows maybe the director had kind of put that in there because he was shoehorned into you know changing the title of the film or something at some point oh, no. like who knows? That would actually make me like the film a little better if that was the case. If you knew but he was still. kind of rebelling against right. the corporate Hollywood uh, practices put on him. Right. Well, that's begin again. I'm going to say, you know what, if you got an hour and a half to, to kill and it's on somewhere and you don't have to pay much money to see it, I think it's worth seeing. But I, I, it's, you're not going to come out of it a changed person. I'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> and, and the music you may or may not like. It's not going to be a big hit for everybody. So. All right. So that's Begin Again. Keira Knightley, uh, Mark Ruffalo in the latest John Carney film. A little disappointing, a little complacency from us. Uh, but I would like to see John Carney still do another film in the music genre. I think he's definitely got, from once, he definitely has the music mentality of how to make music work on film. And he came really close to making it work a few times here in this film. Just, just not quite Don't connecting. have it be a main relationship between a man and a woman that are struggling. Yeah, let's do something them. different next time. Just, yeah. I agree. Maybe like animals. Maybe like pets that learn how to make music together or something. A talking raccoon and a talking tree. <gasps> Making music. Oh, and recording it on a cassette tape and playing it yes. uh, as they go around the country. Perfect. Yes. Okay, with that, let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do a few news items. And we're also going to wrap up with our recommendation for the episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Kindle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Thanks again to the Greater Hickory Kia Classic for being our uh, corporate sponsor of the Mesh uh, right now and helping uh, make sure that we've got some great programs going out there for you guys to listen to. Of course, you can go back and listen to all of our episodes of Foot Candle Films or any other Mesh TV show on TheMesh.tv. That is T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV on the web. Uh, and so you want to go on there, listen to all of our old episodes, post a note, let us know what you think, share it with your friends, give us a star rating on iTunes. There are so many things you could do. <laughs> what a better way to spend a weekend is the way I say, uh, then go back and listen to old archive episodes of candle films and then going and star rating us on iTunes. That sounds like a perfect week. It does. It does. It's like 70 some degrees outside. <laughs> it's sunny. You're sitting there on your back porch on your laptop and you're just listening to our episodes, Absolutely. man. That, I think that's what I'm going to do this weekend. <laughs> I think so. Why not? Uh, Chris, we got a few uh, news items to, to go through. I know you've got some news items to share, and I've got one or two as well. 
I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention about the passing of Robin Williams as of just earlier this week. Yeah, we have actors die all the time and mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood legends pass away uh, sometimes at a, in a more timely manner, sometimes very unexpected. This one, I think, is Lauren Bacall also. Lauren Bacall also passed away. I think she was probably close to 90 at the time. Yes. So again, sad, but also she lived a good full life. I think people are a little hurt right now about Robin Williams because he was 63 years old. Absolutely. And he, you and I growing up in the same generation time period, I mean, we, we grew up on a lot of this guy's films. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we were a fan of his or not, he was there all the way around us between TV shows, movies, Comedy specials, everything. I mean, from the late 70s through the early of the mid 90s, this guy was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't want, to, didn't want to at least comment on that, that I think it's, it's, it's a sad situation. And of course, you know, our hearts and thoughts go out to family and friends. Uh, you know, we realize that a lot of really important people leave our world every day, you know, Absolutely. educators, policemen, everything like that. So, it's sad in all those respects. And I don't want to necessarily say that just because it's Robin Williams, everybody ought to have a much more uh, heightened reality. It's, but it is something where he did have a direct impact on a lot of our generations uh, growing up. So I at least wanted to pass along those condolences. And also it, it, I hope it raises awareness, not only for people battling depression, but also as it was just announced this week, uh, like he'd been suffering from signs of Parkinson's as well early on. So again, that's, that's something where, a lot of things happening there. It right. was tough. So uh, we're really sad to hear that. Um, okay. Well, moving on. What, uh, bring, about, bring us back up here, Chris. What's something, uh, what's something to, to look at here in the news? Well, um, something I am very excited about is uh, Terry Gilliam has announced that he is going to make the film The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And this is, no. in, ref- this is, in, this is in reference mm. to... Uh, he may tried to do a Don Quixote story before, and they actually have a documentary called uh, Lost in La Mancha, which I believe we've discussed maybe a little bit here on the show. We maybe talked about Terry Gilliam at one point. Yeah. Um, it's a really good documentary. It is. And he is now going to make the movie. It's slightly altered a little bit. Um, and it's, he's supposed to begin filming in January, 2015. And he may still have Johnny Depp, as his lead, um, he hasn't really. I guess it's a scheduling type thing, whether he can mm. get him or not, or he may use somebody like uh, Ewan McGregor. The plot is modernized to where it before it was going to be about a guy who was in like a stage production of Don Quixote and suddenly was transported back in time to like where Don Quixote would have lived and like mm-hmm. all the okay. Instead of doing that now, it's supposed to <laughs> apparently. It's supposed to reference a guy who either made or is trying to make a Don Quixote movie oh, wow. and keeps having all this stuff happen to him so that so he cannot more succeed. Of an autobiography. Than yeah, anything. but it's all this meta stuff. I I like Terry Gilliam a lot. Yeah. Um, he's not always been 100% successful. I look at something like Tideland, which he made, which is very interesting but disturbing and odd mm-hmm. um, and didn't quite work in all the ways, but still an interesting film. Um I I could not be more excited that this is happening. So that's just proof like, you know, he's always wanted to do it. And instead of just, you know, setting it on fire and walking away and saying, nope, never going to do it. He apparently is sticking with it. And that makes me very happy. I I agree. I think that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm skittish. I'm, I'm suspicious about whether it's actually going to be made because I think this is probably the third or fourth time he has attempted (sighs) to make the Don Quixote film. I kind of like it being this ongoing nonstop legend of a film that he can never make, you know? (laughs) So if he actually ends up making it one day, I'm like, Oh, somehow be less. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyway, but no, I'm with you on Terry Gilliam. I like his work as well. And I think I may even have something more to say about him in, uh, when we get to our recommendations. Oh, in a little okay. bit. So um, let, me, let me throw out one for you here. Okay. I, I thought this was interesting, and unfortunately my internet just decided to stop on my iPad, so I'll have to go on memory on this one. Okay. Uh, so Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Uh, there was a big kerfuffle last year when he was talking up his film that he's going to be working on called The Hateful Eight. Have you heard about this? Uh, yeah, and Gawker got a hold of it. And yeah, somebody got a hold of the script and basically distributed it on the internet. So all these people are now reading a script. Well, Quentin didn't like that. He well, got mad and said, I, you know what? I can see that. He said, screw it. I'm not going to make that movie. So stinks to all you guys. But, you know, <laughs> you guys are going to share my go out and share my script and everybody on the internet is going to read it. I don't want to make it anymore. Well, he's made an about face on that. He is making The Hateful Eight. 
And actually, a teaser trailer will be coming out here in the next week or two. Supposedly, really? they've already been working on it. Wow. So okay. I thought it was interesting to... I had no idea they were that far along. I had, completely I had make, heard that they were going to do it after all. Now, the teaser trailer may just be all text and words on screen type of thing, but <laughs> there is something that's going to be at least teasing that it's coming. That would be hilarious if the teaser trailer was nothing but music and then like pages of the script that have already been actually scroll the entire script through in a 30 second trailer how funny would that and it'd be? be like happy like that like that, that, would be, um, that would be funny wow is it and it's about is it about is it a western it's a western okay yeah it's a western the uh, posters come out okay. i'll at least show you the poster okay uh the poster is a wagon train uh speeding across a white background with a blood trail leading behind it um it's kind of touting it as quentin tarantino's eighth film you got to think Quentin Tarantino is probably thinking, well, this is supposed to be my eighth film. I've got to make the hateful eight. Wait. I mean, I just, if I don't do this, that's like too much kismic things not connecting there for me. I so, you. um, I just thought it was interesting to do such an about face, make a big public spectacle about, I'm not going to make this film because you guys took the script. And now it's like, okay, well, I went ahead and made it and I'm working on it. And here's hmm. a poster and a trailer for it. That being said, uh, too, just because he has some tangential uh, involvement in Sin City, uh, hmm. At least I think he directed some portions of the Sin City movie, or at least maybe some one, scenes in the first one. Okay. The Sin City 2 is coming out this weekend or next, and I'm hearing it's pretty bad. Um, I well, like the first it one. It didn't make the summer no. like things. So that kind of tells you I really like the first one just because it was a really interesting film to watch, and I like the style of it. But yeah, this the second one doesn't sound like it's very hot, so hmm. yeah, for okay. whatever it's worth. You got one more movie thing you can share with us here? Uh, yeah, and uh, so... Kevin Smith. Yes. Uh, he, after making, I can't remember what the, I think maybe it was Clerks 2, and then he was like, nope, I'm done. And then he made Red State, yes. which I saw and actually recommended on one of the past episodes. Um, well, he's, and he said, I guess at one point, the only other movie he was ever going to make was a hockey movie. Yes. And I can't remember what the name of that one was. But I um, don't either, but he talked about it nonstop for years, being that was going to be the film he was going to do. Hit Somebody. Okay. That was the name of the film. Yeah, okay. Hit Somebody. Uh, it's actually well, gonna be like a two-part movie or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, he's not doing that, right? But well, Kevin that, Smith is not doing something he touted for years. Exactly. That's but shocking. this is something that I think there again. I think we'd have to get our intern to look it up. I think you've mentioned it on a past episode, but he is making it. He's already shot it. Um, you're laughing, so you must know about it. What? Uh, he's oh, making the, the movie Tusk. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's done. Yeah, um, I've seen the trailer for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, to me, it's like a cross between misery and uh -huh. human centipede. Exactly. Um, it's Justin Long and Michael Parks, who was in Red State and was very good as a creepy older man type guy. That Guess was what? Like he gets to play another figure. creepy he does. old man and, in this film. Why not? He does yeah. a really good, you know, yeah. Why not? Why not have him redo do his role? Um, and it's. Yeah, it's like Justin Long is a podcaster who goes around interviewing people and he finds this really interesting human interest story. Kind of, it's like Kevin Smith is making fun of himself, who's also a podcaster, but also that show that's on NPR, This American Life. Yes. And it's kind of like kind of mocking that a little bit. And he finds out that there's this really interesting guy. He goes to interview him. And then apparently this guy decides that he's going to take the human centipede approach, kind of like mutilation type thing, and turn Justin Long into a walrus. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, so. Yeah, I, I wanted you to finish that entire premise summary there because <laughs> it's pretty absurd. And, yes. uh, you know, the movie looks scary and disturbing. Now, whether it holds up or not, I have no idea. Kevin Smith, for me, is very hit or miss. Uh, sure. Did you I, ever see Red State? No, I didn't see okay. Red State. Um, I admire his filmmaking prowess mm -hmm. as far as not his quality, because I don't think he's a very good filmmaker. But I like his enthusiasm towards films and his, his, his wanting to make good films and his desire to put what he's feeling up on screen. I really like uh, Zach and Mary make a porno was mixed for me. I wanted it to be better than it was. Hmm. Clerks two was fine. There has oh, the only movie of his that I can honestly say I absolutely love is chasing Amy. And I really do like, uh, Jay and silent Bob strike back. I really like dogma. Dogma was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Th that period of film, those three or four films sure. that he was making, I thought was like, he's at his peak. And since then it's been mixed results for me. Hmm. I never saw cop out. And I don't think I have any desire to ever see that. I never saw cop out and I never saw Jersey girl. I saw Jersey girl. Jersey girl got a lot of crap about being very overly sentimental. 
it's better than its reputation okay. says. Uh, it's still not good. I want to check it out because I like Sweeney Todd, and I hear there's a pretty funny okay, Sweeney there Todd thing. Yes, in there, there so. is a really, really well done Sweeney Todd reference okay. in the latter port, the latter scene of the film. Okay, um, I'm curious, but I'd much rather listen to Kevin Smith give lectures and talks than see his movies right now, for whatever <laughs> that's worth. So, okay. um, I still want one day to, for Kevin Smith to do a superhero movie. I think that's actually a genre he would succeed in and would connect with. I'm really surprised he hasn't done one yet. There's a documentary coming out about the Superman movie that he and Tim Burton both worked on that got scrapped. And they're finally making kind of like a tell-all documentary about like what happened with that. So that could be interesting. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap up with news and let's move on quickly to just uh, close out the show with our recommendations. This is where we just give a film each that we think you ought to do checking out, or you may have forgotten about in the past. Chris, what is your recommendation for this episode? Well, it's something that you've already referenced in this episode. Um, It is super by James Gunn. I went back and, I had, I had not seen it, but I'd heard about it. Oh, so I, I predicted the future. You did. I told you you'd <laughs> seen it or reviewed it in the I past. Like, ah. and you're like, nope, you haven't, but you have seen it now. I have seen it now. I'm magical. Um, you are. Oh, and uh, the reason I'm recommending it, it is, and it's not a recommendation for everyone, has a lot of strong language. It is very violent. Okay. All <laughs> um, right. That's what I've but, heard. But what surprised me, and one of the reasons I didn't see it, it came out in 2010 along with Kick-Ass, which mm-hmm. you and I both did see yeah um, and it was kind of the bigger budget movie whereas this was kind of a more independent movie and i remember being turned off by kick-ass because not only was it ultra violent but it just seemed like senseless and it didn't really know mm. how to do tone and it, it just did not work okay well i liked super because even though it was really violent and kind of troublesome it was it was felt like it was trying to say something mm-hmm. and where the characters end up at the end of this movie is very interesting, not what you would expect. And actually, if I had seen this movie, I think I could have seen him doing what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? Yeah, because the way the movie ends up and how he chooses to kind of end things, you're like, wow, you're kind of taking something that you would have assumed would have been more traditional and making it really cool and kind of sentimental, but not in a sappy way. Like it was, hmm. it's, it's, and without getting into spoiler territory, I can't really say anything, but. It's it's a good movie. If you don't like violence, do not bother watching it. Um, but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting film. And Rain Wilson, you know, I only knew him from The Office, really, mm-hmm. and I haven't really seen him do a lot of other stuff. Um, seeing him have to play a troubled character that has to do some things, it was it was interesting. So that's my recommendation. It's on um, iTunes, I believe. It's also on Netflix, but um, probably all over the place. But it's super directed by James Gunn. Speaking of James Gunn, I don't know if anything will match up to his writing on the beloved and classic, I think Criterion's putting out a special oh. edition, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> James Gunn wrote wow. that film, which I will say for the record, I thought Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed was much better than the original Scooby-Doo movie that they came out with a few years earlier than that, but still <laughs> not very good. So <laughs> okay. when I'll admit, when I first heard James Gunn was directing Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm like, uh-oh. Oh, no. Well, I said, rut row is actually, I think, what I said. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> enough. Um, Fair enough. Anyway, glad to hear that he's got a lot more talent to him than maybe what we've seen on some of his writing in the past. So, Okay. We're almost to the end of the show. Yeah. Literally, you haven't had your recommendation. Yeah. I think I could look into the future and guess it. Predict it. Because you referenced it. Go for it. Fisher King? Absolutely. Yeah. And just because all the planets are in alignment here on this. Sure. You mentioned Terry Gilliam earlier for the Don Quixote film, which I, I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan from the 80s and 90s. I haven't been as much the last 10, 15 years. Uh, but between 12 Monkeys and uh, Fisher King, I really was digging what he was doing for a while there. Absolutely. Um, Fisher King is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, with Robin Williams passing, it just seemed like a good time for me to go back and re- revisit it, which I did. I oh, still love you? this film. Oh, awesome. yeah. Okay. And the fact that I'm leaving tomorrow for New York City for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which I plan to spend some time in Grand Central Station because I've never actually been inside this, the terminal before. Plan to go to Central Park. That's two really key scenes in the film for me Are as well. Are you going to go to the Apple Store in Grand Central? Yeah, I don't think the Apple Store was in the Fisher King, but yeah, I'll probably <laughs> drop by. Um, Are anyway. you going to wear, walk around New York City wearing your headphones and remark on how it no, changes No, but in everything? the Fisher King, I think I'm going to walk around uh, near, uh, Central Park nude. I think that's oh, my plan. Nice. So yeah, do a little cloud bursting. <laughs> nice. um, Robin Williams, I think this was one of his best roles he's ever played. And I'm a big fan of Jeff Bridges. So of course, these two working together. 
I thought the energy was just right. I thought the tone of this film was was great. I mean, perfect balance of comedy and really, really heart-wrenching drama. Um, people went into this movie. I remember it. I was in college and I went to go see it. And everybody thought it was going to be a big laugh fest because it's Robin Williams playing a zany homeless character. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think within the first 20 minutes, everybody's like, oh, crap. This oh, is like no. really <laughs> deep and serious. And it did a great balance of it. But, man, this movie just worked on all levels for me. I loved it. Love every bit of it. I've seen it as well, but not in a long time. So I think maybe I have a weekend plan now yeah. to revisit it. It's it really holds up well. Okay. I'm really a big fan of this film. And for all the reasons we talked about during this episode, I think now is a very, very good time to check it out again if you haven't seen it. So with that, we need to wrap up this show. Uh, it is uh, The time has gone on. We're ready to move on. I've got another recording going on. We've got weekend plans. We've got places to go, things to do. Movies to Movies watch. to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's wrap up this episode of Candle Films. Again, thank you to the Greater Hickory Kia Classic for being a sponsor here on The Mesh uh, leading up to their tournament October 13th through the 19th. Go to www.greaterhickorykiaclassic.com for more information or get your tickets for the golf tournament. Uh, again, TheMesh.TV is where you can get all of our past episodes and all of our information about our network. Drop us a note. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And feel free to tell us if we're completely missing something on Begin Again, and it is a masterpiece of cinema that maybe we've overlooked. <laughs> again, I thought it was fine. Chris, disappointed. But we are both very positive on Guardians of the Galaxy and definitely think that's worth checking out. Uh, and then, of course, our recommendations. we got The Fisher King. And then you had Super from James Gunn. So, a lot of interconnections yeah. in our episode today. With that, let's close it out. Thanks a lot, Chris, as always. And we'll look forward to seeing everybody next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.